0: Over the past few years, my eyes have been open in a lot of new ways to the beauty of adoption, as well as a lot of the challenges that are associated with adoption as well. About a year and a half ago, in January of 2011, my wife and I brought home our son, Micaius, from Ethiopia. And right now, as you may very well know, we're in the process of bringing home a daughter from China. Probably sometime around January of 2013 is when she will come home. And we're very excited about that. But a part of the process that we're going through right now is with our son, trying to help prepare him for the time that we're going to be separated from him. You see, we're going to have to travel to China for probably around two weeks or so. And during that time, he's going to remain here. And that's much longer than he's ever been apart from us before. So far, he's only been apart from us for a few hours at a time. Uh, And so we imagine that's going to be a very challenging process for him. So we're doing a lot to talk with him right now about how we're going to have to leave for a little while. We're going to have to go pick up Yi Xing, which is uh, her Chinese name, and then we're going to br- then we're gonna come back and we'll be reunited. We will come back, but there's going to be a little bit of time that we're a pirate. Now, if you know three-year-olds at all, you know that three-year-olds ask a lot of questions. Uh, they come up with questions that you never could think of in your mind, and they'll ask the same question oftentimes over and over and over and over. Well, earlier this week, uh, Micaiah and I were eating breakfast together, and he asked me a question that, that really grabbed my attention. And it was really a heartbreaking question when you think about it. Here's a question that he asked me over breakfast. He said, Why Yixing no have a family in China? Why Yixing no have a family in China? And it really broke my heart, because how do you explain... To a child or really to anyone, why a family would be unable or unwilling to raise a child. Uh, A child without a family is really a heartbreaking thing. It's a very sad thing. It's a very unnatural thing. God desires that children have families in which they can grow up and be loved. This is one of the reasons that you see throughout Scripture, God talking about the importance of caring for orphans in their distress and of bringing orphans into our families. That's one of the reasons why here at Freedons we have the Forever Families Ministry. You may be aware that we have a Forever Families event coming up on September 22nd. And I want to strongly encourage you to get involved in that event. I strongly encourage you to sign up for the 5K run walk or the 2K walk. I encourage you to get involved in the silent auction and the bake sale. This is a great way to get involved in orphan care and in adoption. Uh, We also strongly encourage you to invite your family and your friends to this event as well. You know, it's a good event if Freedons people are involved, but it's a great event if we can get more and more people from outside of Freedons involved in this Forever Families event. We have signs and postcards out at the Welcome Center. Uh, You can take those, distribute those to your family and friends. And we also have registration forms for the Run Walk. So we encourage you to get involved in that to help more and more children be able to become a part of a Forever Family. As we said though children without families are a very sad thing it's a very unnatural thing that's why God desires that children are placed in families I have a question for you this morning Why you to raise your hand if you have been adopted raise your hand if you've been adopted Okay I see a few hands going up My hope I'll say this is a bit of a trick question My hope is that every one of us could raise our hand to that question. If not now, by the time our life on this earth is done, that we'd be able to raise our hands. Like I said, it's a bit of a trick question. But we need to understand that unless we are adopted by God into his family, none of us can have eternal life. None of us can have salvation. None of us can be forgiven of our sins. Because if you are a part of God's family... You are adopted. So how many of you have been adopted? I see a few more hands going up right now. This morning I want to talk about that topic of being adopted, specifically into God's family, but also paralleling that with human adoption as well. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a few verses in the first part of Galatians 4. If you didn't bring a Bible with you but would like to follow along, you can grab a Bible from the pew or the chair in front of you. But what we're going to see as we look at this passage is that adoption is at the heart of the gospel. Adoption is really at the very heart of the gospel. And there are a couple different ways that we can view adoption. There's adoption on the horizontal level. That's oftentimes what we think about when we think about adoption. Horizontal level is people adopting people. Oftentimes parents adopting children who are in need of a family. That's what Shelley and I did with Micaiah. That's what we're doing with our daughter who's coming from China. That's what many in this congregation have done or have experienced in their own lives as well. People adopting other people. That's the horizontal level of adoption. But there's a vertical aspect of adoption as well, and that is God adopting people into his family. If a person is a Christian, if a person has eternal life, whether or not they know it, they have been adopted into God's family. So we're going to look in this passage today to see various aspects of what it means to be adopted into God's family. We're going to parallel that with some of the aspects of of horizontal adoption, of people adopting other people. I invite you to pray with me as we prepare to look in this passage. Father, I thank you that you open a way through Jesus Christ and through faith in him to be brought into your family. And thank you that you give us full privileges as children of yours, Lord. Privileges. They include eternal life, privileges that include coming before you, you as a loving and gentle and personal Heavenly Father. And as we look into this passage of Scripture today, we pray that you will give us wisdom and insight into how we can live as your children more and more faithfully. And we pray these things in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And this morning, we're actually, I'm going to be reading... From a different translation than I normally read, read from, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and I'll explain why a little bit later. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. Crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Today I want to dig into this passage looking at three specific verbs, three action words that describe what God has done to adopt us into his family. The first verb is the idea of God sending his son. God sent His Son. It says there right in verse 4, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law. He says that He did this in the fullness of time. The fullness of time is a reference to how God had been preparing for a long time for when He was going to send His Son to the world to be the Savior uh, from our sins. He'd been foretelling that. He'd been dropping hints through prophets throughout the centuries. And in the fullness of time, about 2,000 years ago, He sent His Son to this world in a form of... Of Jesus Christ. Now we need to recognize that if the Son was sent into this world, he came from someplace as well. And it's pretty eye-opening to recognize where the Son of God came from when he came into this world. You see, he, Jesus, the Son of God, is God Himself, who was sitting on a throne in heaven, being worshipped constantly by angels upon angels all around him, as a glorious uh, existence in heaven. And he stepped out of heaven and came to this earth. Imagine with me that you are a king or a queen. You have the opportunity to live in a palace. You've lived in a palace your whole life. You've lived in absolute luxury. You've had people waiting on you hand and feet. You've had anything you want, whenever you want it. You've had people adoring and praising you all the time. What would it be like for you then to go live in a slum? You have the option to do so. You don't have to. Would you take that option? And I'm not talking about living in a slum for only one night or only one week or even for some sort of short-term summer missions trip. I'm talking about going and living in a slum then for thirty-three years. That's just a little glimpse into how Jesus stepped off his heavenly throne, equivalent in some degrees, uh, in some ways to this palace and came. This earth. I mean, the difference between a palace and a slum is a small difference compared to the big difference between heaven and earth. Over in uh, the book of Philippians, Paul writes about that process that Jesus underwent in humbling himself in this way. Philippians 2, Paul said, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, meaning that he, he wasn't forcefully holding on to that, that position of, of luxury and glory. But instead, he was willing to make himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See, Jesus humbled himself. He stepped off his heavenly throne to come to this world. God sent his, his son into this world. And it says in Galatians 4 that Jesus was born of a woman. That refers to how he was born into this world through Mary. And they grew up uh, for 33 years or so before he was crucified. But being born of a woman was important in the the mission that Jesus was seeking to fulfill. Because Jesus had to be not only God, but he also had to be fully human to fulfill the mission that he had on the cross. Jesus also was born under the law. That's referring to the Jewish Old Testament law. This means partially that Jesus was a Jew. But it also refers to the importance of being uh, submissive to the law. That when Jesus came, he fulfilled every single little part of the law. That he had no sin. Every other human being who'd ever lived had been an had, had, had error in accordance to the law. They had not fulfilled everything that God expected them to fulfill, and that includes us as well. But Jesus fulfilled every single aspect of the law, and that's important because that then qualified him to pay the death penalty that we deserve for our sins because he didn't have his own spiritual death penalty that he deserved because he had never sinned. What this means is that Jesus met all of the qualifications required in order to be the person who would enact our adoption into God's family. You see, to adopt, there are certain qualifications that you have to meet. In the adoption process that Shelley and I have gone through, uh, both our first one and now this one, there's a long and rigorous home study process where there is a social worker who comes into your home multiple times, asks a lot of questions or a lot of background checks. They check your finances, they want to know your family history, they want to know your plan, how to parent your child. You have training that you have to go through in order to be an adoptive parent, uh, sometimes even up to 10 to 15 hours of training in person or on DVD or books that you read. There are a lot of qualifications that a person has to go through in order to be able to adopt a child in this world. I think in many ways that's a great thing. But just as there are qualifications to adopt another human being, so there are qualifications that had to be met in order for Jesus to open the door for us to be adopted into God's family. And by being born as a human through a woman, by being uh, completely spotless and blameless in accordance with the Jewish law, Jesus met the qualifications that were necessary to enable us to be adopted into God's family. And we see next in verse 5 the reason uh, that Jesus was sent into this world. One of the main reasons was to redeem us, to redeem those under the law. This idea of redemption has its roots in, in, in the system of slavery. To redeem something means to obtain it by paying a price or to set it free by paying a price. If you have a slave who is, um, who is in bondage, That slave could have their freedom purchased. They could be redeemed if someone else was willing to come along and pay the price uh, to to set them free. And this is the idea of what Jesus has done for us in his death and his resurrection. You see, we all were enslaved to sin and to the law. If you look in the broader context of Galatians chapter 4, you see Paul talking about the slavery to the law. How God expects everyone to uphold this law, but no one can. And because we can't, but we're expected to uphold it, we are enslaved to it. It's like a weight that's that's pushing us down. In the rest of Scripture, there's a lot of talk about being enslaved to sin. We all know what that's like. We know that we shouldn't sin, but we still do it. it. It draws us in and it traps us. We know from other parts of Scripture that the wages of sin is death. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how we were dead in our sins and transgressions. You think about the helplessness of little orphans in an orphanage, about how without the help of, orphan wo- or of, of orphanage workers, there's no way that they can even survive on their own. And they're helpless to pull themselves out of that situation of being in the orphanage either unless someone else comes in and adopts them and takes them out of that situation. And that's a picture of what Jesus has done for us, that we were helpless, that we were hopeless, that there was nothing that we could do on our own to better our own spiritual situation. But Jesus came to pay the price that was necessary to redeem us. Redemption and adoption are not free to the person paying for them. There is a tremendous cost involved. That's definitely the case in adopting um, children Domestic adoptions, uh, I'm not talking about foster care system, but uh, normal de- domestic adoptions typically cost in the range of $20,000 to $25,000. If you look at international adoptions, the typical range is probably twenty-five dollars to $35,000. Although some international adoptions, say from Russia, can go up to around $50,000. That's a lot of money, isn't it? The financial cost is one of the big hurdles that families have to overcome if they want to adopt. Now, you may be thinking, that's outrageous. Why would anyone pay that much money to have a child in their family? Well, think about biological pregnancies. If you have a biological child and you give birth to them in a hospital, how much does that cost? If you have insurance, you probably don't see that much of that cost. But even a normal, fairly basic biological pregnancy in a hospital is probably going to cost around $20,000. Like I said, if you have insurance that's not passed on to you, at least most of it isn't, if you have any complications in that pregnancy, uh, if you have to have a C-section or have to have further surgeries, that could easily drive the cost up to $40,000, 50000 $70,000. Again, if you have insurance, you don't see that. But when you recognize that, that having children is not cheap, adoption definitely has strong financial costs. That's one of the biggest hindrances to people adopting children. And there are other costs as well in adoption. If if, if a family doesn't have any children before they adopt, there's a cost of freedom. There can be an emotional cost in adoption as parents are trying to help children work through the issues of abandonment that they may be feeling or through other issues. There's a major cost to adoption. It's the same with being adopted into God's family. That Jesus paid a tremendous price in order for us to be adopted into God's family. Back over in that Philippians 2 passage that I read earlier, uh, where it talked about Jesus being in very nature. God did not consider equality as God's something to be grasped or forcefully held on He made himself nothing, being made in the likeness of human beings. The next verse says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus submitted himself to death on a cross. That was the price that had to be paid for us to be adopted into God's family. Romans 5 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In an earlier chapter in the book of Galatians, Galatians 3 verse 13, says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree this tree referring to the cross. We deserved a curse. We literally deserved hell, the spiritual death penalty because of our sins. And Jesus, by dying on the cross, took all that curse, that wrath, that hell upon himself. That's the price that had to be paid for us to be adopted into God's family. And Jesus, according to Romans 12, did it with joy because of what was going to result from that. So God sent His son to this world to redeem us ultimately so that we could be adopted into God's family. We see that at the end of verse 5 here in Galatians 4. The son was sent to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons or as daughters. This is the reason that I chose the English Standard Version to read today rather than the New, uh, new International Version. NIV gives a, gives a very faithful rendering of the original language here, uh, talking about how, uh, we were, how, how we might receive the full rights as sons. But the more literal translations, like the English Standard Version, the King James Version, New American Standard Version, use that word adoption. And it's such a beautiful word to describe what God has enabled us to go through, to become sons and daughters of God. I hear some people talk sometimes about, you know, everyone's a child of God, aren't they? Well, you know, God created everyone. Everyone's accountable to God. God loves everyone. But not everyone is automatically a child of God. A person only becomes a child of God when they are adopted into God's family through faith. In John chapter 1, John says that to everyone who received him, meaning Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We aren't naturally born as children of God. We're born more as orphans, separated from God, not part of his family, even though we're still accountable to him. But God opens the door for us to become his children, to be adopted into his family when we have faith in him. Galatians 3.26 says something very similar. He says, uh, Paul's writing to Christians here. He says, you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's faith in Christ, trusting him to pay the penalty for our sins rather than trusting in ourselves that opens the door for us to be adopted into God's family. And adoption gives us the full privileges as children of God. And We see in verses 6 and 7, we see... And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This idea of Abba is a very intimate term, a personal term of relating to God. It's kind of a household term that a young child might use in referring to their dad. In our language today, it may be equivalent to to calling God dad or daddy. It's kind of like when Micaiah runs up to me in the kitchen sometimes and says, I love you, daddy. That's that picture of the intimacy that we can have with God because we are adopted as children into his family. We also have the privileges of children as well. Verse 7, Paul says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Being an heir to God is referring to an inheritance. Back in the first century when Paul was writing here, having an inheritance was a very big deal because an inheritance would really help you to have a strong livelihood. It would oftentimes be an inheritance of land, an inheritance of money, an inheritance, say, if your father's a carpenter of his workshop and perhaps of his clientele. An inheritance is a very big deal. And to be an heir means that you have the full privileges of being a child to that parent. Being adopted, whether it's into God's family or into a human family, means that we are not second-rate children means that we have the full privileges of being a child of that parent, and in this case, being a child of God. I hear people sometimes, they probably don't really think about what they're saying, but sometimes people draw a distinction between children who come into a family through adoption and children who come through the family through biology. There really should be no distinction there. Some people say, well, don't you want real children? Don't you want children of your own? Even when we already have our son through adoption. Micaiah is our son just as fully as any biological child could ever be. There are no second rate children when it comes to adoption. And this passage gives credibility to to that idea. God wants an intimate relationship with us when we're adopted into his family. And God gives us the full privileges of a child, he makes us an heir in his family. When we are adopted, we are full children of God if we have faith in Christ. J.A. Packer, a prominent Christian author, has put it this way. He says, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel, higher even than justification. Justification is this, this theological concept of being made right in God's eyes, being legally declared to be holy and pure, to have our sins not counted against us because of what Christ has done for us. J.I. Packer is saying, you know what, justification is very important. It's not less important than adoption is, but adoption is even a higher privilege because justification says you're free of your sin. Adoption says, it's God saying, I love you and you're a part of my family. You're my son. You are my daughter. What a high privilege it is to be a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In closing today, I want to give us three, uh, three practical application points to help us to maximize the adoption that God offers to us. First application point is this. Make sure that you're a part of God's family. Just because Jesus has died on the cross and risen again, just because we may go to church or read our Bible or be able to, to talk about the gospel, that doesn't mean that we're automatically in God's family. Back when I was a freshman in college, I had an English composition class, and one of the papers I wrote was on the topic of symbols in society. One of the symbols I wrote about at that point was the cross, because I thought, you know what? The cross is one of the most universally recognized symbols in society, a symbol for Christianity. And I wrote in that paper how the cross is a symbol of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I wrote about a page about the cross as a symbol. I could tell you a lot about the cross because I'd grown up in church hearing about it. But I didn't have a personal faith in Christ. I didn't recognize that it requires a personal decision to trust in Christ and to follow Christ in order to be a part of the family of God. That that realization, that understanding of the gospel, and the application of the gospel to my life came about a year later. And I want to make sure that we don't take for granted that just because we're in church... Or just because we aren't a Muslim or aren't a Hindu or aren't an atheist, I want to make sure that we aren't just assuming that we're a part of the family of God. But we can be a part of the family of God if we trust in Christ. That is the way that we become a child of God. If you think about going over to someone's house for dinner, you don't automatically become their child Simply by sitting around their table eating a nice dinner, even though you may think, you know, they're really nice, you may have a good relationship with them. There's a process you have to go through to become their child, to be adopted in their family. It's the same with God. We don't become a child of God just by going to church, just by um, even sitting around the communion table. The way we become a child of God is through the process of placing our faith in Christ and following him. So, so when we're talking about adoption, let's make sure that we are part of God's family. Examine ourselves. Ask, do we truly have saving faith in Christ? Or am I just associating myself with Jesus and liking the benefits without actually following him? A second practical application point to grow in, in, in maximizing our adoption is to grow in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He desires an intimate personal relationship with us. It's sad when you see children especially oftentimes teenagers who want little to nothing to do with their parents. You see that with biological children. You see that with adopted children. But God wants to have a very intimate personal relationship with us. Remember, he, he put a spirit inside of us that called Abba, Father. We need to seek to grow in that relationship with our Heavenly Father. If you look at the up and out triangle, which we're talking about a lot now at Freedon's, this is our up relationship with God. We need to seek to be intentional in growing in that up relationship with our Heavenly Father. A practical way we can do this is by connecting with other Christians in a way that motivates us in our faith. Starting next week, we have Sunday school classes for all ages, from infant on up to as old as you can possibly be and still be alive. I want to specifically highlight the the adult classes that are going We have three adult classes that are all focused on this up relationship with God. And they're all focused specifically on being committed to Scripture and how that commitment to Scripture helps us grow in our relationship with God. The three classes are highlighted on the back of your bulletin. I strongly encourage you, come. If you don't come to the 8 o'clock service, come, as Pastor David said, around 9.15, 9.20. Get involved in one of these classes. This is a great way to grow in your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Now, a third way to maximize our adoption is to help others to also come into God's family. Help others come into God's family as well, because the only way we come into God's family is through faith in Christ. There are many barriers that prevent orphaned children from being adopted. It's estimated that about 99.9% of orphans in the world will never be adopted. Did you catch that? 99.9% of orphans in the world will never be adopted. There are over 147 million orphans in the world today. Last year in 2011, worldwide, there were just over 25,000 adoptions worldwide. You compare that number 25,000, that that makes a big difference. Michias was one of those children who was adopted in 2011. It makes a tremendous difference in the lives of those children. But 99.9% of all orphans, of those 147 million orphans, will never be adopted. There are barriers in bureaucracy, there are barriers that the various national governments put up. There are barriers caused by corruption. there are barriers caused by not enough families being available or willing to adopt. There are a lot of barriers that prevent children who are orphans from being adopted. In a similar way, there are a lot of barriers that keep human beings, or not human beings, but being, uh, from being adopted by God. But we have the privilege and we have the calling and we have the opportunity to share the gospel with people around us, to point them to the good news that even though we are spiritual orphans and separated from God because of our sin, he opens the door through faith in Christ to be brought into God's family. So I want to encourage us to maximize our adoption, not just to take it for granted. Adoption really is at the heart of the gospel. This morning we have an opportunity to, opportunity to celebrate communion. You can see we're doing it in a slightly different way than we do most months here at Freedom's Church. But as we come forward in a few minutes to these communion tables to receive bread, which represents the broken body of Christ in our behalf, a cup which represents the shed blood of Christ in our behalf, it's a reminder of the price that Jesus Christ paid to pay for our adoption, to enable us to be adopted into God's family. We need to remember that God's love for us is based on what Christ has done for us and based on us being sons and daughters of God. There is a practice that I've heard of parents doing with their children. Shelley and I are starting to do it with, with Micaias. It goes something like this You sit down with your child and say something along the lines Do I love you because you're beautiful or handsome? No. You are beautiful. You are handsome. And that brings me joy. But my love on you is not based on your beauty or your handsomeness. Do I love you because you're smart? No, my love for you is not based on the fact that you're smart. You are intelligent. We value the fact that you work hard in school and we like to see you learn things. But my love for you is not based on your level of intelligence. Do I love you because you obey mommy and daddy? No, we are happy when you obey us. It's in everyone's best interest when you do what we tell you to do or not to do. But my love for you is not based on your obedience. My love for you is based on the fact that you are my son or you are my daughter. And that is what God says to us as well. His love for us is ultimately based on our performance, not on our good works. His love for us is based on the fact that through faith in Christ... We are adopted into his family as a son or as a daughter. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a song called The Wondrous Cross in preparation for communion, and then we will gather together around the Lord's table. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that through Christ we can be adopted into your family as full sons, as full daughters. Lord, I pray that you will help us to live out that adoption, that we will be growing in our relationship with you and helping others to also find wholeness and peace with you through faith in Christ. And we pray also for those orphans around this world who don't have families to care for them. We pray that you will be at work in their lives, drawing them to yourself, helping them to know that no matter what else happens in this world, they can have a loving Heavenly Father. And God, we pray that we will be active as well in caring for the orphans in our midst and around the world, even through the Forever Families ministry. Thank you that you bring us into your forever family. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.